Welcome everyone to this episode of Christian Historical Fiction Talk. I'm your host, author Liz Tolsma. Thank you so much for joining us for this episode. I'm so glad to have you along. I have really been anticipating this interview for quite some time, and I'm so excited that it has finally worked out that we've been able to get this author to join us and to chat with us for a little while. I'm sure that you are going to enjoy this thoroughly because this author is so much fun to talk to. She is just a wonderful person, and that's really going to shine through in the interview. Before we get started, let me tell you a little bit about her. She is a multiple award-winning author. She has won a Christie Award and numerous others. She is a Wisconsin native. She's someone I happen to know personally. And so I am so very pleased to welcome author Jamie Jo Wright to the show today. Her latest release is The Haunting at Bonaventure Circus, and it has a special place in her heart, as you will soon find out. So welcome, Jamie. We are so thankful to have you with us today. Thank you so much. I'm so excited to be here. Let's just start out a little bit. Now, you've been around for a while, and I think a lot of people maybe know you, but for those of them who don't, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Sure. I have been writing since I was 13. And for those of you who are listening, who are aspiring writers who want to be authors, it's a long journey. So I was waiting for probably almost, oh, about 20 some years before I finally got my first novella published by Barber Publishing in 2016. And since then, I've written a couple of novellas. And then I had my first release, The House on Foster Hill that came out in 2018 from Bethany House Publishers. And it's been a fast journey of book writing since then. But it's been a lovely, lovely experience. By day though, I am not an author. By day, I'm actually a director of HR and organizational development for a regional cellular company. And so that keeps me really busy during the day. And then I have two kids and a husband, which is kind of a key component of that equation. And then, um, <laughs> Then I also I also have um, four cats, and we have lots of fish, and we have a salamander and other sundry strange creatures that kind of come and go in the house because we live in the woods. So I guess we'll stop there. <laughs> oh my goodness! Well, you are quite the adventurous mom to allow all of those creatures, <laughs> especially the salamander, into your house. That. <laughs> That's not something I don't think I could do. <laughs> I, I draw the line at spiders. I draw the line at spiders. I, I said that that's that's a no. That's a firm no. But they did bring home a gecko the other day from the pet, sh- pet store. So we now have a gecko aquarium in our living room. So that's, a, that's an adventure too. Oh, my word. <laughs> so you are a fellow Wisconsin author, which is kind of cool. So for the listeners who don't know that, uh, Jamie and I actually – at least once a year, we try to get together for lunch. So I have to tell you, Jamie is a lovely person and is just a lot of fun. It's amazing that such a sweet person can write the kind of books that she writes. I don't know where all this darkness resides and where it comes from, because really in in person, she's a, a, a wonderful person. And you can, you can tell that by just listening to her now. <laughs> 
Yeah, I'm not your, um, I, I've had some people expect me to be wearing black lipstick and black um, fingernail polish and such. And while I'm not opposed to that look, it's, it's, it's definitely not sitting with me in person. <laughs> I'm more the country girl. <laughs> yes, you are. That's for sure. Uh, so the latest book that you have out, as I mentioned, is called The Haunting at Bonaventure Circus. Why did you choose to write about a circus? Well, contrary to what some people have thought, it's not because of the greatest showman movie. <laughs> Although I did enjoy that movie. It came out actually while I was writing the book and I thought, no, you're stealing my thunder. Um, but anyway, no, I grew up in a circus town. I actually grew up in the town where the Ringling Brothers Circus first started. So they are usually um, associated with Sarasota, Florida. However, they were actually Wisconsin natives. And so the town that I live in, Baraboo, Wisconsin, is the hometown of the Ringling Brothers Circus. And it's actually where the circus, after the summer was over and they were done touring, they would winter here in our, our town. And why they would winter in Wisconsin with tropical animals, I'm not entirely sure. Um, but that's what they did. So that I grew up with a very active circus culture. The elephants would be bathing in the river just a few blocks from my house. I went to the circus at least once a week. I had some appearances as a clown there myself. So lots of lots of fun stories growing up. So it was just a natural transition to at some point put something in a story form that complemented my roots and, and where I grew up. And that's that's really why I chose the circus. Yeah. And I have been to Baraboo and I wrote a novella myself yes. set on the Ringling Brothers Circus Train. Mm -hmm. And it's, it is a fun place to visit. So I have a couple of questions about that. First of all, I want to go back because mm -hmm. you kind of slipped in there that you were a clown at the circus. <laughs> Can you elaborate on that? Well, I will I will make this distinction because if you are from Baraboo, you they'll they'll nail me on this very quickly. I was not a professional clown. There is a difference between a professional clown and an amateur clown. There's actually such a thing as a clown college that is located in New York, and if you want to be a professional clown, that is where you will go to school. However, my aunt was a professional clown and she would work with the circus. And so there were times I would accompany her and then we would run around the big top ring and throw things at people and get people to laugh. And it was a lot of fun. I really enjoyed it. Wow, that is so cool. I mean, not many people can say that their aunt was a clown. Right, right, yeah. Let me just say growing up with my aunt was a lot of fun. Has she inspired any part of this book or any of the characters in this story? Um, not her personally so much, but a lot of the, the things that she exposed me to, um, definitely were, were part of the inspiration. I actually steered away from having clowns. I have one clown in the book, but it's a very small bit part because I didn't want to go with the, the circus trope of clowns, which is done in so many different books. So I kind of went in a different direction. Right. I know when I researched my book, it was really neat to sit at the Circus World Museum and go through all the archives and everything there. Did you get to do that? And how much did the Circus World Museum help you with your research for this book? Oh, Circus World Museum. I mean, if anybody even wants to go online, they have a photo archive that I've spent hours on. And it's just a, it's a beautiful 
place just full of colorful history. And I spent so much time there. I spent a lot of time at the actual Circus World Museum, not so much the archives, but um, on the actual wintering grounds in the buildings, touring the buildings, looking at the scale models of what the circus would have looked like back in the you know, early 1900s before it was all built up around and how the circus meshed with the train station and the train depot. And it's just, it's just a beautiful place. It's underrated and definitely something people should put on their radar for a, a family vacation because it's a lot of fun. It is. I will agree with that. Definitely a very neat place to visit. Your heroine in the book, I thought it was really unique that you gave her an autoimmune disease, and that's chronic Lyme's disease. Mm -hmm. And it really does play a part in the book. And I think it helped to humanize her and really make her relatable, make her a sympathetic character. Can you explain why you used chronic Lyme's disease, why you gave her an autoimmune disorder? Sure. Actually, I, I, I blame my friend Tracy for that. <laughs> we were having a conversation and I said, I, I, I'm missing something with Chandler. She needs to have something that's affecting her and, and potentially hobbling her for the story. And I said, I was thinking of something, you know, disease oriented, you know, just a health struggle. And she says, well, why don't you use Lyme disease, which is your issue? And I said, well, that'd be putting a lot of me into the book. And she says, yeah, but you're always saying how people need to know about Lyme disease. And it's true. It's a, it's an autoimmune disorder. And I think a lot of people can relate to autoimmune disorders. They're actually extremely prevalent, which is unfortunate. But Lyme disease is something that one is not as well known. And even in the medical community, there's still struggles around treating it. And with insurance companies, a lot of them won't even recognize it. And then it, it's also very fitting. Chandler's in Wisconsin. She's in the Midwest. And Lyme disease is very notorious to be in this area where it's not as much in some of the other regions of the United States. So it was also sort of fitting to the, the region in which the story was set. So, But most of it was honestly personal experience. How she struggles with it in the book is definitely firsthand experience. It's amazing that despite all of your struggles with this chronic Lyme's disease, and I learned a lot about it just by reading the book myself, it, it really took you up a notch in my book a little bit that you hold down a full-time job, and it's a demanding job, and you're a mother, and you do all this writing while struggling with this disease. So I, I just have a lot of respect for you and I'm amazed that you are able to do as much as you do while struggling with something like this. I think it's by the grace of God that I'm able to do that. I definitely will not take the credit for that one. You mentioned that you started out writing novellas for Barbara Publishing, mm -hmm. and those are sweet romances. And then you came out with The House on Foster Hill, which was your first romantic suspense, mm -hmm. which just blew me away, by the way. Why did you make the jump from these sweet romances to these, I, I don't know if I want to call them creepy, because I don't want to turn people off by using that word, but they are kind of, well, they're, they're suspenses. So why the jump? I think because, one, it was, it was really at the heart of what I wanted to write, but we had, I had written a couple of the romantic, historical romantic novellas, and I did enjoy them, but I always felt, even as I was writing them, that there was more to be said beyond just the romantic plot line. 
for me personally. And I've always been an avid reader of very gothic style mysteries, um, not just romantic suspense, you know, where you have maybe an FBI agent and, you know, a murderer or thing like that, but more of the gothic style where you could potentially dabble with something that's a little bit ghostly or an old mystery that's been kind of resurrected, that concept of of walking through a, an old abandoned house and wondering if it could speak what stories it would tell. Um, and so I was, I was toying around with writing a story about an abandoned house, and then I was having a conversation with a fellow author, and she said, have you ever considered writing a split time? And I was like, well, what is that? And um, she said, well, that's where half the story is set in the past and half is set in the present. And it was, honestly, it was like a light bulb went on for me because I'd always traipsed through antique stores or museums or whatever and wondered what it would be like if walls could talk. What if it would be like if I pick up this, you know, China teacup, who sipped out of it? What was the story behind it? What fingerprints touched it? hundred years before me. And so it just gave me the opportunity to kind of explore those questions and do it in a way where you're solving mysteries that, that span decades and connect people's lives. Really interesting. Now you did bring up the ghost aspect mm-hmm. and this book is ghostly in a way, if you want to use that word. And then mm-hmm. also you had another one, which was the curse of Misty Wayfair that I thought was sort of ghostly as well. Yes. How do you reconcile that element with writing Christian fiction? I think that's a great question. I think one of the things is, and you'll know from having read the books and and without putting too many spoilers out there, my stories have an explanation that will go along with the quote, ghostly hauntings, unquote. So there is an element of earthly explanation to it. I also find that there's an there's an innate interest, I think, in a lot of us into the spiritual world. And I think there's a lot of us, you know, there's a lot of people that get curious and intrigued by that. And we love a good ghost story. But I also like to show on the flip side, the element of of grace and of a higher spiritual power, one that is far more effective and far more real than than a ghost you know and so when i'm writing a ghost story i like to try and and monopolize on the elements of creepiness that you get out of a ghost story without necessarily having an actual paranormal story where things are not explained and then you could potentially question you know is this more cultish or is this actually christian (laughs) if that makes sense so i like to i like to explain the ghosts with a human element or an earthly element but still have that fun kind of ghost story campfire feeling if that makes sense it certainly does i've noticed one thing when reading your books and that is that no matter how hard i try to figure out the whodunit i'm always wrong (laughs) do you sort of figure that out as you go along while writing the book or do you really have an idea when you're starting the book you know who who done it and you're going to work around that in most of my books I know the motivation behind the villain as to the why they did it and then I usually wait until about three quarters of the way through the book and then I look at my map of characters and determine which one is the the one that should have done it, if that makes sense. So a lot of times I'll have an idea. So for the haunting at Bonaventure Circus, the 
the one who ends up being the guilty villain is not actually the one that my mind originally had been leaning toward. Um, I had been leaning toward somebody completely different, and then this one just just started to fit and the pieces fell together. So sometimes it's it's random, and I try and pick somebody that you wouldn't expect. Um, I'm not one of those authors that falls in love with my characters, so I am totally fine taking somebody that we love and making them completely evil deep inside. So I think that's one of the reasons sometimes it's it's more difficult to guess is because I'm not afraid to sacrifice characters, wherein some some other authors don't want to sacrifice a beloved character that they really like. And I'm I find a little bit of glee in that. I think. <laughs> Like I said, I don't know. I don't know why people who are listening to this. I don't know where this comes from because she's really a very nice person. <laughs> that's that's really interesting that that you're as surprised as the reader is by who did it. Yeah, yeah. Especially this last book with the haunting of Bonaventure Circus, I was totally unprepared for the person who ended up being the one who did it, and I didn't really figure it out until probably the last quarter of the book and I was actually writing it for a different villain and I had to go back and edit some of the pieces once I realized that the the one who was intended to be the villain was actually not as guilty as I'd originally thought and I, I yeah I was definitely surprised by it and that one I actually did like the character so I was a little bit hmm do I want to do this but I did I won't say anymore I'm going to give it away Right, right. We don't want to give any spoilers. But when we're done here, don't hang up right away because then I'm going to ask you about who, who was the original. Okay. Maybe I was right all along and, <laughs> and you know, had the original person picked out. Well, you might have you? been, yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so what are you up to now? What's on the horizon for you? What is on the horizon for me? Well, I just yesterday sent in my batch of edits for the next novel that is coming out in June of 2021. That one is titled On the Cliffs of Foxglove Manor. And um, that one is set up in the Upper Peninsula of Michigan. So I actually leave Wisconsin just a little bit and I go up on Lake Superior and dive into Civil War treasure and the Civil War influence on the Great Lakes. Wow, that sounds really interesting. So, yeah, because I think all of your suspenses have been set in Wisconsin up to this point, correct? Yes. Yep. So. Yep. They've all been set in Wisconsin. So I tried to keep that tie in. So my main character in this next book, while she's in the Upper Peninsula of Michigan, she does come from Wisconsin. So I still have a little bit of a tie there. <laughs> and did you get to go up to the UP and up to Lake Superior to do some research? Oh, yes. I've grown up going up there. That was our favorite vacation spot. So I love I love the UP and and everything it has to tell. But I was not aware of how much Civil War history is in that area. It was completely blew me away. Yeah, I would have never guessed that far north would have yes. really anything to do with the Civil War. And interestingly enough, it has a very strong southern southern influence. So it was very interesting to to read that yeah, um, and to research it. And I still want to do more. In fact, I'd like to have somebody like, well, like you or <laughs> one of those historical authors that is far more is far more capable of handling the historical detail than I am. Take something like that and, and run with it because there's there's so much there. And I just barely, barely scratched the surface. That does sound fascinating. You have uh, whet my appetite. Do you get much time to read? You're so busy with other things. Do you read much? 
I try. And um, thankfully, I'm a fast reader, so I can typically get through a book in a weekend. I try to keep the weekends free for family or just some downtime and not, not write so much on the weekends. But like this month, September, I had a book launch. I had a work trip for my, my day job. I was gone for four days, and then I had the deadlines for my content edit. So I will say September was not much of a month for reading books. Do you like to read those gothic suspenses that you mentioned or what's your genre, your preferred genre when you read? Well, I do love the gothic suspenses. There's no doubt about that. And I will read um, where mine don't cross into the actual, actual paranormal. I will read some that do as long as they're not super gory or extremely occultish. But honestly, I find myself gravitating toward a lot of the historicals the historical romances or even the contemporary romances just because it's it's so different from what I write and it's kind of a relief at times to to take my mind out of the darker places. Yeah. <laughs> That's for <laughs> sure. Sometimes you just have to get away from that. Right. Well, do you have anything else that you'd like to the, the listeners to know or anything you'd like to to tell them about? Only if they want to know more about my books, they can go to jamierightbooks.com and they can find all my social media links there. They can sign up for my newsletter there. If they are um, interested in book club information, there's book club information there and some videos. I did some walking tours of the circus grounds. So there's some YouTube videos there. So some fun resources that you know, the site gets changed up here and there pretty frequently. So that would probably be a place they might want to check out. Definitely. And we will put the link to your website in the show notes. So people can go to christianhistoricalfiction.buzzsprout.com and find all of that information there. Well, thank you so much for taking time out of a very busy month, Jamie, and joining us today. It has been a great pleasure to have you along. Thank you so much. It's been fun chatting with you, Liz. All right. We'll have to do it again very soon. For sure. Well, that's all the time we have for today. As we mentioned, I will have the link to her website in the show notes. I will also have the link for the places we can go to purchase The Haunting at Bonaventure Circus. So be sure to check out those show notes. That's Christian Historical Fiction dot buzzsprout.com. That's where you will find out all that information. And also, I would love it if you would take a little bit of time and stop over at my website, which is liztolsma.com and check out what I have going on over there because I also have a brand new release. The Refrain Within is now out on the market and I would love to have you take a look at my latest World War II release. It's set in Hungary. And it's about the Bognar family. They are clarinet makers, fine clarinet makers, and a well-known family. But they are betrayed by someone very close to them. And then when their secrets come to light, they have to flee. And they have to decide where to place their trust. So please go and check that out as well. Thank you once again to Jamie. Thank you to everyone for joining us. Please join us next time when we're going to take a look back on some of our favorite Christian historical reads from this past summer. We will see you all then. 